0: Please be seated. To those of you listening to us on the internet, to the men and women in our armed forces, wherever you may be, to our members and guests here at beautiful Savior Lutheran in Milwaukee, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God upon which we based our message on this seventh Sunday of Easter Is the gospel which you heard read before? I recall just these words. After saying this, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time is here. In the name of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, who prayed for us and who prays for us, my beloved. exaudi. In the uh, ancient church, that was the Latin name for this Sunday, the seventh Sunday of Easter, exaudi. It comes from the opening sentence of the worship service in the old church, which uh, means hear or listen. And it signifies that somebody's praying to God. Lord, hear me. Lord, listen to me. So you might say this is also designated sort of as prayer Sunday. This is that unusual Sunday of the church year that's uh, sandwiched in by the Ascension this past Thursday and Pentecost next Sunday. And you'll see that also the disciples were praying during this in-between time. They were praying for the Holy Spirit to enlighten them uh, to choose which should be a replacement for the apostle Judas who died. And so this morning we listened to Jesus' prayer. Somebody might wonder why are we talking about this prayer because we're going to see as we get into this message this morning that uh, this was prayer was prayed when Jesus was in the upper room, the same night in which he was betrayed. Well, what are we doing here? We already celebrated Easter. Well, Jesus prays for his disciples because they were still waiting for Pentecost. And he had ascended, and he knew that they would be worried and frustrated and felt like they were in danger because he removed his visible presence from them. Who was going to protect them now? That's the background for the message this morning. God's created commodity of time continues to intrigue me. What is time? Time is a continuing sequence of moments, one after another after another, which you cannot stop or even slow down. Some some moments are so very special to us so that we like to freeze them, you know, with our digital cameras. And we sort of do. We take the picture and then we stare at a moment past But nevertheless, time continues to move on moment after moment. What are some of the important moments that you remember in history? Uh, How about the one, uh, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind? And the first human being ever set a footprint on the surface of the moon. At that moment, what did you do? What did you say? You shake your head and say, oh, man, how can this possibly be happening? How about the moment when two airliners flew into the Twin Towers on that morning of September 11, 2001? What did you do? What did you say? Did you cry? Did you gasp? What are some of the other defining moments of your life? Perhaps it was when uh, at your graduation day and you walked across the stage and the principal said your name and handed you the diploma. What did you do? Smile for the camera. Some of the other special moments in your life might have been uh, when you heard the words, it's a girl. It's a boy. What did you do then? Smile, cry, Laugh, maybe all three. This morning, we turn our attention to a moment that was not frozen by digital technology, but rather preserved for us forever in the eternal word of God. And it's the central, defining moment of all time. Jesus in the upper room on Monday Thursday with his disciples, simply said, the time is here. A moment in time would arrive shortly that the whole world had been waiting for ever since creation and the fall into sin. John uh, writes later on in his gospel, he, he, he speaks of that moment. He says, Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Jesus in the upper room knew all about the defining time and moment of all of history and that it was near. He knew that he was going to die, and he knew how he was going to die. What did Jesus do? He looked up to heaven, and he prayed. You know, before us this morning, you might say we have the real Lord's Prayer. You take a look in Holy Scripture, that what we know as the Lord's Prayer is the prayer that Jesus taught his, his disciples, but this is the prayer that Jesus actually prayed, and it's the longest prayer that Jesus prayed is recorded in the Bible. Jesus prayed, and 11 men listened. On this Sunday, the seventh Sunday of Easter, sandwiched as it is, as I said before, between the ascension of our Lord and Pentecost, we want to just spend a fleeting moment to listen to Jesus' high priestly prayer. And as we do, we recognize that Jesus prayed for himself and he prayed for you. As Jesus began his prayer, he prayed for himself, but he was also really praying for you. He said, Father, the time is here. Give your son glory so that your son can give you glory. What does it mean to glorify or to glory someone? If you glorify somebody or give them glory, it's sort of like you place a medal around their neck or you present them with a trophy. Jesus was saying, Father, bring honor to me so that I might bring honor to you. How was Jesus going to be honored by his father? By successfully completing the mission that his father sent him to do, the rescue mission. For whom? For you and me. Jesus wanted to be successful in his suffering and his death, his crucifixion and his resurrection for you and for me. And by his successful rescue operation... His father would be honored by the one who keeps all of his promises. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He's the one who sent his son and his promises to send that son were fulfilled. And so he's going to be honored. In fact, he's honored today by all of us who trust the heavenly father because he's one who keeps all his promises and that's to take care of you every day of your life, no matter what you are suffering right now. Jesus prayed that through all of his humiliation and suffering, all the blood and the gore for our redemption, that he would once again be honored by his Father in the same way that he had been honored before he left heaven, by restoring him to full glory. But you know, as Jesus was praying for himself, he was really also praying for us. The whole mission was carried out by the Father who loved his Son deeply. This was a two-man operation. Did you ever think about that? One sent, the other one went. Jesus prays, that just as deeply as the Father and the Son love each other and work together for our salvation, that just as deeply we might love them both. Did anyone ever ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, the answer is easy. You can say, oh, yes, I do. He's my brother. I know him personally through the love letter that he sent to me. You see, God wants that relationship between us and Jesus as our brother because he recognizes that as soon as that relationship begins, you have eternal life. Jesus said, this is eternal life. To know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Sometimes we think, all of us, that we have to wait for this long time, you know, until we get to heaven, then we have eternal life. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and so that means that you have eternal life right now, and you can't die. Oh, you can temporarily leave this world, but you can never be separated from God through faith in Jesus Christ, and that is eternal life. As Jesus prayed for himself that his mission would be accomplished, he's really praying for you because by that mission accomplished, he saved you and grants you eternal life. You know, when you'd really take a real close look at this high priestly prayer of Jesus, he's really praying for two things. First of all, he's praying for his disciples sitting around the table for their protection and also that we may be one. Jesus said, Holy Father, keep them safe by the power of your own name so that their unity may be like ours. Very shortly now, Jesus was going to be removing his visible presence from his disciples and ascending into heaven. No longer would he be there to visibly protect them. And he knew that they needed protection because they would be in danger every day of their life. We know that after Jesus ascended into heaven and after Pentecost, for their faith, the disciples were beaten and uh, uh, verbally abused and stoned and thrown into prison. And I'm sure that some of them were tempted to say, it's just not worth it. Let somebody else do it. We need protection too. Because the devil is all around us every day to throw two major temptations our way, and he does it every day, and he's trying to draw us away from our faith in our Lord. If it's not persecution, then it's prosperity. And don't tell me that you have never suffered any kind of persecution being laughed at, ridiculed for your faith, or sometimes you're just out there in the environment and you don't want to say anything because you know if you do about Jesus Christ, somebody will laugh at you. But when it comes right down to it, I really believe that prosperity is a worse temptation than persecution. We all have so much. And when everything is so fine, who needs God? And who is it that's trying to seduce us into unbelief? Satan, the devil himself. St. Paul, St. Peter in his epistle this morning says, Be self-controlled and be alert because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion and he wants to devour you. The devil is dangerous and he'll kill you if he can Living in this world is sort of living like in a cage, like a lion trainer. You know, you're inside the cage and the devil, the roaring lion, is there. And facing him, you're going to need a whole lot more help than just a whip and a pistol with blanks to defend yourself. Your only defense that you have in this world is the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ my sure defense. That be it known that every time that you, fen- you spend just a few moments on the pages of the love letter, the Bible, Jesus comes roaring out as your defense. Jesus' final request for his disciples and the disciples of 2017, you and me, is that we might be one. Jesus was asking his father that his disciples might be preserved in the unity of the one true faith. As time passed, God the Father did not want Bartholomew, one of the apostles, teaching one thing about the Bible, and Peter teaching another thing about God, and John teaching yet another thing, each making up their own ideas about who God is. He wanted them to stay together in spiritual unity, all believing the same thing just as he taught them. Because the devil was there trying to wreck the church. Did you ever think about that when Jesus ascended into heaven? And on Pentecost, there was only one church, and everybody believed the whole thing, the same thing. It wasn't too much longer after the Christian church grew that somebody came along and said, Oh, yes. You must believe in Jesus Christ to have eternal life. But you also have to keep the Old Testament ceremonies and sacrifices like circumcision and sacrificing. And the church says, oh, no, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And they said, oh, no, it's Jesus plus the Old Testament. And they said, no, it's not. And they said, yes, it is. And they said, you're going to have to leave the church because you're ruining the message. Now, how many Christian churches were there? two, one with the complete truth and one with some truth and some falsehood. And that's been continuing on and on and on throughout history. That's why you see there's so many different denominations. Now, when it comes to external matters in the church, there is a whole lot of room for disagreement. What color should we paint the church walls? What color should the carpeting for the church be? How many committees should we have in church? How many districts should there be in the synod? How many worship services should we have? When should be the time of our worship services? And all those things it's okay to disagree about. But when it comes to God's Word, there God wants His disciples here on earth in full agreement regarding all the truths of Scripture. There is one Lord and one faith, and one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. You see, you can't go around teaching just anything that you want about the Trinity. You have to teach what the Word says. You can't just teach anything that you want to about the Lord's Supper. You have to teach what the Word says. You can't teach just anything about who Jesus Christ is. You have to teach what the Word says. Well, why is it so concerning to us to follow Jesus' words so that we pursue a church that teaches the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I'll give you an example. I already gave this example to the kids in catechism class earlier this year. Just imagine if you went outside, uh, let's see, on 85th Street there, and there's a bunch of bushes there, you know, where the, the, the hose spigot is. Just imagine if uh, next Sunday I would come with a little hammer and chisel and remove one of the bricks of the church from the outside there. Behind the bushes, nobody would know it. And what happens if I would come the next Sunday and chisel out another little brick somewhere in the... Probably nobody would know it. But if I kept doing that Sunday after Sunday, by the time we got to be about 5,000 bricks, you would notice it. And if I kept doing more, the whole thing would come tumbling down. Many churches have applied their philosophical hammers and chisels to God's word. And what happened? Well, maybe you know some of those churches. Some churches which 35 years ago called themselves Christian, if you walk in today, you don't even hardly hear the word Jesus Christ. You ever go to a wedding in a so-called Christian church where the name of Jesus Christ is not even mentioned during the, the marriage service? And how did that all happen out here in the world? Not all at once, just bit by bit, little by little. And that's why the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and beautiful Savior Lutheran Church, why we have seminaries and confirmation classes and adult education to continue to attempt to preserve the unity and faith of all of Scripture, that the name-saving message of Jesus Christ might preserve because finally if the truth is lost what truth do you have to proclaim what a wonderful example of unity that god still has preserved to our church body like i mentioned to you before uh right after easter we went out to california walked into a missouri Synod church felt right at home and the message was exactly the same the message of truth go anywhere new mexico florida Arkansas, pick a name, hear the same message. Pray for our seminaries, our colleges, our schools, that we might faithfully pass the message of truth to the next generation. What a defining moment in history. Just before Jesus' betrayal and his crucifixion, Jesus prayed. He prayed for us that we might be one with him and the Father and have eternal life. He prayed for our spiritual protection and he prayed that we might remain one in faith in the word of truth. And we can be comforted that all your future defining moments will be blessed because Jesus prayed and his prayer was answered. And you are the walking, living proof. God, grant that will continue for the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, amen. We confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, (coughs) the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We take this time to gather our tithes and our offerings and our connection cards.